out of the billions of people all over the earth, Lord. You have chosen to put your hand upon us. Father, that you have chosen us and this generation to manifest your glory like at, never, at no other stage in our lifetime. Now, Father, we bring your people before you. Father, for everyone that is not well in body, we speaking healing tonight. That during, oh God, the times of worship, during the times of praise, during the time of ministry of your word, I thank you for physical healing. I thank you for physical healing. In the name of Jesus, Father, we declare that the enemy has no hold over the bodies of your sons and your daughters. And right now and right here and today, God, minister healing in Jesus' name. Minister healing in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, God, for your sons and daughters, those that are maybe facing challenges of God. Whatever the challenge may be, Father, that you are showing up in the midst of God of the storm, in the midst of God of the, that in the place of indecision, in the midst of that confusion, you are showing up. And so today, we pray that the El Shaddai, presence of God, Jesus, just show up. In that home right now, just walk in the room, Lord. Just walk in that room. Just walk in that room. Just walk in that room. That place that is feeling heavy and, and dark. Father, I pray that the light of God just break through right now. In that home right now. Some of us may have come from homes of God where there's been some turmoil, there may have been some disagreements, there. some things that have vexed our spirit, some things that have been spoken over our lives. And, and so tonight we come to God and we say, let nothing, let nothing hold your people back. Let there be a total freedom, let there be a total liberty in the presence of the Lord. Father, I thank you for your healing power.
Yes, we can see that wonders are still. 
So Father, when we open up our mouths, miracles start breaking out. We have the authority in Christ Jesus. We thank you, God, that you said and we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so today I pray for every son and daughter of yours that you have given us a testimony that we can speak of the goodness of our God. We can speak of, of, of the greatness of our God. We can speak of the loving kindness of our God. That we know, O oh God, that we are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can think, ask, or even imagine. Lord, you have great things in store for us. And so, Lord, we sit, O oh God, we, we stand here in your presence, O oh God, just asking, O oh God, for more, more of your presence, more of your power, more of your grace, more of your spirit. Oh God, just breathe upon us again and again, Lord. We thank you for presence. We thank you for the power of God. We thank you, God, for the provisions of heaven. We thank you for the prophetic word. We thank you for the divine positioning, oh God, that you are doing in the season. And so help us, oh God, to be sensitive to what you are saying and you are doing on the earth in this hour. So even as we get around the study of your word, we believe the entrance of your word brings light and life. So we say, speak, Lord. For we, your servants, here. And everybody said, Amen. And Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Bless the Lord. Thanks for worshiping. I would like us to, to end up the service with the song Jaina, right? Kelsey, you're going to help us sing as well. Well, bless the Lord. Amen. Amen. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study and this is our time of intercession and prayer. And we thank God for this, just the spirit of the Lord that is in the house. Amen. 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 Excited about what God is doing in the season. I believe it's a season of divine positioning. Amen. Amen. And so God is divinely positioning the church and the body of Christ for what he is going to do. Amen. How many of you are glad that God has chosen you? He's put his hand on you in this hour, in this time, in this generation. This is how we're going to be remembered. And not only going to be remembered just as a generation that has overcome and lived through a crisis, but we're going to be remembered as a, as a generation that came out of it stronger. Yes, we have came out of it more anointed. Amen. We came out of it with a greater measure of God's presence yes. and glory in our lives. We're coming out of it with a greater measure Amen. of God's, uh, God's plan being fulfilled even in us and through us. Yes. Amen. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited and... Uh, Sometimes I know you, you sometimes can get overwhelmed with the excitement at, at what you see God doing, but I'm excited at what God has got in store for us. And, and I believe it's about what, how we learn how to adapt and learn some lessons in the midst of some trying moments that prepares us for what God is going to be doing in the future. Amen. Amen. So this is why I started this uh, 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 sermon on Sunday. Uh, I spoke after the crisis, now what? And I want to just maybe just build on that a little bit because sometimes, uh, you know, in the midst of trying to share a lot of information, you, you miss out some things and there were a few things that I wanted to use and a few other examples that I wanted to share of those that are from the Bible that went through a crisis and after the crisis, um, their response was different. And uh, sometimes, and I said it on Sunday that when we are in the crisis, sometimes some of us reach toward God. Yeah. Then there are those that move away from God. Mm. And then there are those that get confused by all of the messages that are going around and they find themselves in a state of confusion. And, and this is true even of the present day of us as a humanity and as people living on the earth and, and of the believers within the body of Christ. Some the crisis has left us confused, hopeless, without faith. Some of us, it has left us in a place where we've just gone back to our old ways. And some of us have backslidden and we pray that God through his power will, will reconcile them back to God. Amen? And that we're going to be the custodians to just share the love of God with them. Not judging. Amen? How many of us know that during this time, 
every aspect of your life was tested. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Not just only your faith. Every aspect of your life. Your sense of what is life, yeah. what is living, your priorities in life has been tested. Yeah. There have been moments where you, where, where, where you were, all of us, in a certain, to one level or the other. Your faith may have not waned, but you may have been tested in another area of your life. All of us have been tested. Amen. And the challenge is that all of us will be tested. Yes. So there is test that is coming through this, and it's testing the different aspects of our life. How would we behave when nobody else is watching? Yeah. How would we behave when there's nobody else standing over our back and saying it's now time to go to church? Yeah. Will we go to church? Yeah. When there is nobody else standing over your back and telling you it's time for you to go and pray, yeah. it's time for you to read your Bible, the times when it was locked down and church couldn't meet, you have to begin to engage God for yourself. Yes. And many of us lacked. Yes. Some of us couldn't wake up and read our Bibles. Yes. Some, of, some of us couldn't, didn't pray for days on end. And, we, and, and, and after a while, we found ourselves taken up by other information and, yes. and, 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 and other priorities. And yet you would have felt it. You would have said, we have no excuse to say I have no time. Yes. But the reality is it came to that place yes. where it's not about the time. It was about whether am I ready yes, yeah. to make that commitment? Yeah. Am I ready to do it on my own? Yeah. When nobody else is telling you, read your Bible. When nobody else is telling you, pray. When nobody else is telling you, lift your hands and worship God. When nobody else is saying to you, this, this is time for you to intercede and, and trust God for a breakthrough. Yeah. Nobody else is around you and, 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 and it's hard to share with everyone how you're feeling. It's a, when the crisis of faith comes in, many of us responded differently. And so I pray today that we got to learn a little bit more about ourselves. Some of us may uh, had sickness thrust upon us. And in that time, how we, we responded to sickness? Amen? Did we let the sickness get over, overtake us and become overwhelmed? Or did we get to that place where we said, Lord, I'm pressing into you? Yes. It's, a, it's, it's personal. It's individual. It's like the old song, and I remember singing this when I was 9 and 10 years old in church. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother nor my father, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not my sister nor my brother, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not my teacher nor my preacher, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Amen. And so we get to that place where we say, God, we need you. Now, I want to share with you some, some tools to overcome crisis. Because God in his infinite wisdom, as within the context of scripture, put some relevant advice for us as Christians on how to respond to crisis. And one of the first things he, he, he challenges us is to speak the truth in love. When discussing spiritual maturity in, his, in, in Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, he writes in Ephesians 4.15 and he says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every, in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So he says, one of the most important things in, in crisis, it can be tempting to try to preserve, preserve one's reputation and to curb the misconceptions by, by, by speaking half-truths. But he comes and he says, in the time of testing, the blueprint of, of a believer in the crisis is that their communication should not become foolish and dishonest, but we should speak the truth in love. That we should come to the place where we are speaking truth. That means speaking truth is God beginning to move through our lives and speak through us. God is beginning to, you know, because sometimes in the midst of fear and in the midst of confusion, it is easy to begin to blur the lines yeah. between what is truth and what is not truth or untruth yeah. or false. And this is the challenge that many of us will find. So he finds us and he says, first tool to overcoming a crisis is speak truth. Yeah. One of the things that I found is, and you would have found it 
two. During the crisis and during the pandemic, one of the hardest things was for people to say, I'm in faith. Because it, 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 it came with a whole slam. It came with a whole uh, perceptions of people. And one of the things was that many people did not want you to know. And this is why the challenge came to the greater community. Because people that, that were infected wanted to continue normal so that nobody would think something's wrong. And some of us are a little bit like Naaman. We're putting on our clothes and we're covering what is inside. And yet within the inside of him, Naaman, was leprosy was eating him. Now, we can talk about the pandemic, that's okay. But what about the stuff that is happening in your life? happening in your home that is eating you on the inside. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you're acting like Naaman. Yeah. Yeah. And you're putting on your clothes. Yeah. And you're looking like a valiant soldier. Yeah. And you're letting your accolades go before you and your titles and your achievements and your accomplishments to go before you and to speak on your behalf. And rather than you saying, yes, that was me. Mm. But this, that's not me today. Yeah. Because inside of me, I'm fighting something that I'm not winning. Yes. Because it's easier to live a lie yes. than to tell the truth. It's easier to tell a lie than to acknowledge that everything is not all right. I believe everything will be all right, but I know right now it's not all right. And so one of the greatest things of, of, of going through a crisis is not admitting that I'm in crisis. So the Bible challenges us. Speak the truth in love. Then it says, use a gentle answer. In Proverbs 15 verse 1, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That means in the middle of crisis, the worst thing you can do is speak more harsh words. In the middle of when people are facing crisis, the last thing they want to hear is somebody else putting them down. But they want to hear somebody that is picking them up. That means they don't want someone to be broken. I mean, imagine somebody that is broken and all you do is go and speak more things to break them. But the, it seems like almost inhumane, but it seems like a, a constant response of human beings that when people are broken, we break them more. Mm -hmm. Let's build them up. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrong. A harsh word stirs up anger. Invaluable advice for an individual, a church, a person in business, can cause them to have a negative, negative response to the crisis. Crisis can open the floodgates for criticism in your life. If you aren't equipped to combat accusations with the mind of Christ, it is easy to become un defensive and unloving. This is one of the biggest challenges that we found even within the body of Christ, where people are going through things People messed up, made mistakes, made bad choices, made bad decisions. All we do is we stay as a constant reminder of that. Now Jesus says, judge not lest you, you be judged. And with the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. Yeah. That means when I criticize, sometimes we, we go beyond just a, a criticism to a place of judging. And when we get to that place, you have, we have to ask ourselves, am I judging or am I building? Mm -hmm. If I'm judging, then I need to understand I'm opening myself out to being judged. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And so this is the point where the body of Christ needs to become the builder of the body of Christ. Builder. Now, understanding that we, we know that sometimes people could have, they had the opportunity and the information to make a better choice. But just because they didn't make the choice that they, we knew they should, should we hold it against them? Can we build it? Amen? So let's build. Then it says, 
even in the midst of crisis, remain humble and remain hopeful. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, they say, the scripture says, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or, or has he spoken it, and will he not fulfill it? God is with us in every situation, even the crisis. And the question is not whether he will help us. The question is whether we will choose to allow him, put our faith and our hope and our trust in him in the middle of the crisis. I want you to understand this. When things go wrong in our lives, we should be running to Jesus. Not running away from him. We should be running to him. David says it like this. When my soul is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, the rock that is higher than I. He says, lead me to something that is higher than me, that it can lift me up. Yes, now, if the church is on the level of where people are struggling, how can we lift them up? If the body of Christ is behaving like the world, how can we be like Christ, being able to lift them up? When people run into the house of the Lord, they should find warmth, they should find love, they should find forgiveness, they should find healing, they should find that there, there is someone that has the spirit, the, the, the anointing of a good Samaritan to bind up the wounds. The good Samaritan didn't ask him what you were doing on this road. Good Samaritan didn't tell him, where is your family? Good Samaritan didn't ask him, who else? Don't you have any resources to help yourself? The Good Samaritan saw the need. He met the need. He ministered to the need, expecting nothing in return. I believe the church needs to come to that place. Not saying there shouldn't have been no accountability. You shouldn't hold people accountable. No, no, no. But we're coming to that place where we are builders of the body of Christ, builders of people. You know, when I spoke after the flood, we spoke about the life of Noah, and we looked at how Noah, after the flood, when he went back to things, went back to normal. He had a crisis of his faith. And in a moment of weakness, he exposed himself. It's easy for all of us to go in the same road. I've seen it, more especially in those that have been believers for many years. Must know, by this stage, after the flood, Noah is over 620 years old, 630 years old. If you do the math, he's lived a lifetime. And one would have said, we can forgive a small indiscretion. But after you've lived through some things, you should know better. Yes. You should know better that it costed the others that drowned in the flood their lives because wickedness yes. and evil prevailed. And as a seed, a first fruit seed, a first fruit company of people, he should behave differently. Yeah. He should behave differently. He shouldn't have brought the old ways pre-flood into the post-flood. He should have said, that has got no place here. Imagine post-flood, he's sowing seeds of corruption when God was trying to remove it away. But then I looked at the life of David. First Samuel chapter 16, you start off the, being introduced to David. Samuel comes to the house of David, to Je of Jesse. God says to him, go into the house of Jesse and I'm going to cause you to anoint 
the next king of over Israel. How many of you know that Samuel was a very powerful man? Samuel was really, really a powerful man of God. But you know what is the, 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 the thing? He comes to the house of Jesse not knowing yeah. which son yeah. was going to be the next king. Yeah. And he would come and he said, he looked at Eliab and he says, surely this is, he is the one. And his measurement tool was how did God choose before? God chose Saul. And Eliab had the characteristics of Saul. And when he saw the characteristics, he said, surely he's the one. And God said, no, not him. And Abinadab, not him. Seven sons of, of, of Jesse comes before Samuel and Samuel's, and God says, none of them. And then he asks Jesse, is there yet another son? And he says, yes, we have a boy. And He's not really a boy. He's a young man at that stage. He's looking after sheep. And he says, send for him. When he comes, he anoints him king. And God said, this is the one. And we see how from a humble beginning of a, of a shepherd boy, God begins to raise him up to becoming king. It's not an easy transition. He comes into straight after that. Look at uh, what happens. How powerful the, the ministry of David was. That the moment... To, he gets anointed as king. The, power, the Bible says the anointing and the covering of God and the spirit of God moves off Saul and comes upon David. Saul, the Bible says, becomes open and an evil spirit comes upon him. Saul needs someone to minister to him and there's somebody else. And look at how God is orchestrating yeah. events. Is, they're looking for somebody that will pray so that peace will come over King Saul and, and there's somebody in, 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 in the, amongst the company and in the, in, in the household of, of, of Saul and in the leadership of Saul that says, I know there's a son of Jesse who looks after sheep and he, he plays skillfully on the, on the lion. Bring him. So that when he prays, when the evil spirit uh, uh, torments the king, he will play and the evil spirit will leave him. And look at this. And, 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 and Saul said to his attendants, find someone that can play and they go and find him. And then Saul sends messengers back to Jesse and he says, send me your son, the one who looks after the sheep. And so Jesse sends him. And then he comes in in verse 21 of chapter 16. David came to Saul and entered in his service. And Saul liked him very much. And David became one of his armor bearers. And then Saul sent a word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the Spirit of God will, will come upon Saul, David will, will take the lie and play, and relief will come to Saul. He would feel better even that the, the evil spirit will leave him. So much. From there he gets an opportunity. Chapter 17, he, he goes and faces Goliath. Wins a battle over Goliath. Sets his place in the army of Saul. He moves from being armor bearer to one of the captains. Battle after battle, he will. Just, and then the Bible says, and then the heart of Saul will turn against him. The Bible says in chapter 18, after David finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became of one, one spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David, uh, Saul kept David with him. And did not let him return to home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. And Jonathan took his, off his robe and he was wearing and gave it to David. And along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful. Saul gave him a high rank in the army. He, this pleased the troops and the Saul's officers. And when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
the woman came out of the towns and in, in, of, of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing joyful songs with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and he refrained, and this displeased him greatly. I want you to understand, there came a moment when his heart turned towards David and, and consistently after that he sought opportunity to kill. I mean in the same verse the, the next time the evil spirit came, came upon him he was uh, uh, and David started to play he took a spear and he tried to throw it at him to pin him to the wall and he did it twice. Not an accident. Twice he tried to take him out but God preserved him. And this is the thing that, uh, this, uh, that, that frightened Saul more than ever, was verse 12. He says, and Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but he departed from Saul. You want to know what turns the heart of your enemy against you? Is when they see that God's with you. Amen. Amen. David, Saul, when he looked at his son's response to David, when he looked at the army and his chief captain's response to David, when he looked at the, 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 the people's response to David, when he looked at all of this, he says, surely there's something on this young man. God's grace has shifted upon him. He knew that there was something greater at play. When he looked at how Michelle, would lie, his daughter, would lie to him, so that she can preserve David and, 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 and keep him, she, his heart turned. I want you to understand, there are some things that happens in life that begins to cause the enemy to begin to look at us. And the Bible says, he begins to, he enters into a place where he's running from Saul every attempt. Saul is trying to send people to kill him. Saul is, I mean, even he goes to Samuel. Samuel tells him, go down to the certain place. He find, Saul finds out and he goes there to kill him. Kills other people trying to kill uh, David. But then David comes in, in, in chapter, in 2 Samuel. He has an opportunity to kill Saul in the cave. The first time, as a king. The second time, he has an opportunity to kill him. And he doesn't. And he confronts him and he says, the, 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 my, my, the people that are with me advise me to kill you. Because you should seek to kill me. But how can I touch God's yeah. Yeah. Look at him, he goes through it. And David never ascends to the throne up until Saul and his son Jonathan are killed in battle. They make him king over Judah. Then at Hebron, they make him king over all of Israel. And, and the beautiful part of it is now king over all of Israel. He's standing there. He's enjoying all of the benefits of it. He's, everything that is, was his prophetic direction came into that place, came into, into position. He's in the place where all of his enemies are at peace with him. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war. David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole, whole Israel army and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem and one evening he got up off his bed, walked around on his roof of the palace and from his roof he saw a woman bathing. She was, the woman was very beautiful and David sent someone out to find out about it. I want you to understand. It was a time when kings went to war. He stayed at home. The challenge is not standing on your guard. Not standing on your post. Letting your guard down. And that was the challenge. This is the challenge for all of us. After the crisis, keep your guard. Stay protected. May the armor of God be over you and around you. May the presence of God watch over you. Come on. The worship team can come on. But I want you to understand this.
Don't let your guard down. This is sometimes what happens to many of us, is that we, we let our guard down in the time when we should have been more focused on what God is doing. Amen. This is important for all of us to do it. Amen. This is important for all of us. Come, come, Joel. Bless the Lord. The problem with us is that we let our guard down. Amen. Is Kenneth's mic up there? Amen. I want us to understand after the crisis, don't let your guard down. Amen. Be diligent. Understand that the enemy is going around like a roaring lion. You see, when he comes into kingship, that's when he gets really tested. Amen. It was okay to make the mistakes along the way. But when he comes into kingship, he makes one of the most critical, critical uh, mistakes that not only take, removes him out of the place where he is not able, able to build a house for the Lord, but he is removed out of the place where he can usher in Israel into the new season. I mean, he was king for 40 years and his rulership lost essence at the very start of it. The build-up was greater. The build-up to becoming king was more remembered than his kingship. Let us not lose what God has in store for us. The worship team will lead us for the song. But I want to just pray over us today. Father, may your protection, may your covering be upon us. Watch over us. Father, I pray today over each one of us, myself included, I pray, Lord, let the covering of God be upon our hearts, our lives, our minds, our spirits. God, our homes, our families, our marriages, our children. Father, guard this house, guard this ministry. Father, help us to be all that we have, you have called us to be. And, and when we attain all that you have called us to attain, may we not lose our faith. May we not lose our desire for more. May we not lose, oh God, our passion for you. May we not lose, oh God, the anointing that's upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's just stand together. We're going to sing the song.